0: Lindsay Dills is 24. She's from a place in southern Georgia called Glynn County, right on the coast. The nearest big town is a partly gentrified, mostly impoverished city called Brunswick, population 16,000. Though I interviewed her in a prison way upstate.
1: Okay, I'm Lindsay Dills. This is Lee Arendelle State Prison. Um, before all this, I was um, actually was all state for soccer five years in a row, um, was expected to have a scholarship to college. A couple of scouts had contacted my dad, um, my coach at my school.
0: But in her sophomore year of high school, Lindsay started smoking pot. She began working at this bar and restaurant, Spanky's, as a waitress. Ran with an older crowd that she met at the restaurant. By senior year, she was doing coke in a pretty serious way. She had a 21-year-old boyfriend, which at the time she thought was the coolest thing ever. Then now she sees that one differently. And finally, senior year, she quit soccer. Which of course your dad and every other adult in her life tried to talk her out of.
1: The coaches were calling the house, telling my dad we please talk to her." Um, and probably part of it was part of the drugs, and I think part of it was that I just had done it for so long and I wanted to be I wanted to be a teenager, I wanted to go do stuff on the weekends, and I wanted to not have practice at five o'clock in the morning, and I didn't want to have to run three miles every other day.
0: And she says, in retrospect, she knows she wasn't coping well. Her home life had been pretty rough when she was little, before and after her parents split up. And now she was self-mutilating, cutting herself with a razor, smoking a lot of pot. Her parents tried to do the right thing and get her treatment for all that. She went into a program for a week or so, more than once. But here's where things took an unusual turn for Lindsay. October 2004, she was 17, her dad was out of town, and she forged two checks, one for $40, one for $60, on her dad's checking account. Cashed them in her job, spent some of the money on drugs.
1: Well, he comes back from out of town and he does his balances checkbook. He's a CPA, so he's on it. Like, as soon as he gets home, he knows that something's not adding up. And I don't, I don't in a million years blame my dad for doing what he did. He was terrified. All he'd heard was horror stories about what happens to people when they were doing drugs. He didn't mess with drugs. My dad doesn't drink. In the 24 years I've been alive, I've never seen my dad drink alcohol. I've never heard my dad curse.
0: She says he started randomly taking her to be drug tested. I told her that if she failed a drug test, then he'd go to the police about the two forged checks. Lindsay figured out ways to pass the test, get somebody else's pee or dilute her own. But finally she fails the test, and her dad followed through on his threat.
1: Two police officers come into my job, and they're, you know, they're like, we're looking for Lindsay Dills. I was like, let me get her for you, and I'm about to you know, just like leave. So I know exactly what's going on at this point when they say we're looking for Lindsay Dills. I was like, oh my God, he actually did it. I never thought he would do it. So I'm arrested at this point. They, you know, slam me over the hostess stand. I'm at the front of the restaurant. People are turning around. I'm mortified. I'm like 18, and everybody's just like, oh, because they know how my dad is. My dad used to call Spanky's to see if I had left work. He'd be like, is Lindsay there? Because I would be like, oh, I'm working late. Um, the sheriff's in there. He's one of the regulars at the bar, and the sheriff's standing there like, oh, my God.
0: Because um, you know the sheriff because you've waited right. on him.
1: Right, I know the sheriff, and then there's a bond salesman there that I'm, he's a regular. Him and the sheriff are real good friends. And so he finds out what my bond is, and he's going to bond me out, because he's familiar with me. Well, my dad calls him, because I'm like, my dad's like, I'm not going to bond you out. I was like, well, I don't need you to bond me out. So-and-so's bonding me out. It's the worst thing I could have ever said. So my dad calls this man and begs him not to bond me out. He's like, please don't. I'm trying to save her life.
0: Her dad declined to be interviewed for the radio, but Lindsay's mom, Vicki Woodard, confirmed that he was hoping that this would be the intervention that would change everything. She had moved from Georgia to South Carolina a month before Lindsay forged the two checks and kept in touch by phone with what was happening. She says her thinking was, Lindsay had just turned 18. It was her last chance after this.
2: She could do whatever she wanted. She could drop out of school. She could move out. We would have no influence over her whatsoever. And she was in a fast spiral down at that point. Um, she was not going to school. Her father would, you know, call me and say, I can't get her out of the bed in the morning. She just won't get up. And so he rolled the dice.
0: Rolled the dice, hoping that she would agree to a drug treatment program that he'd found. Out of town, away from her friends, and everybody was influencing her to do drugs. That she'd go there in exchange for dropping the charges. But Quinty didn't want to go out of town to some drug treatment program that her daddy picked. And then the prosecutor put another option on the table. Drug court. Drug courts are all over the country. You've probably heard of them. They've been around since 1989, and they are a huge national success story. The idea is you take nonviolent offenders whose crimes are caused by their drug addiction, and instead of prison time, you give them court-supervised drug treatment. This accomplishes two things. It saves money because fewer people are incarcerated, and, studies show, it actually helps people. It gets them off drugs, which means fewer repeat offenders. But if you enter a drug court program, it's serious business, especially the drug court that happened to be in Lindsay's small town, which is run by a judge that many people truly fear, the chief judge of the Glen County Superior Court, Amanda Williams. The basics of the Glenn County Drug Court Program are about as tough as they get. It takes two years to complete. And at the beginning, you're going to five meetings a week with drug court counselors, plus four AA or NA meetings a week, plus curfews and drug tests every week. If you finish the whole program, your record is wiped clean. But if you mess up and flunk out, you have a felony conviction on the original charge on your record, and you serve the time for that conviction. So there's a real threat hanging over your head.
1: So Jason Clark is my public defender at the time, and he's warning me. He's saying, Lindsay, don't take drug court. I'm telling you won't make it. He's told me this like three or four times. I'm adamant. I'm saying I'm taking drug court because all I know is I get to get out of jail. That's all I know. I don't know anything else about it. So, I go to plead into drug court. My dad's in the courtroom. Um, Judge Barton was on the bench that day. Instead of Judge Williams, she was gone. My dad's judged Judge Barton's accounting for probably the past 15 years, and they're very good friends. So, he sees me come in and he pulls me up to the bench and he's like, I can't, don't do this. Don't take drug court. Are you sure you want to do this? He asked me three or four times. Judge Barton says Judge this. Judge Barton does this. Judge Barton's trying to talk me out of taking drug court, that I would not do well. I wouldn't make it. He didn't think it was what I should do.
2: And she was spiteful that day.
0: Again, Lindsay's mom, Vicky.
2: She was like, you... And Lindsay's just got a little bit too much of her dad and I in her. She's very independent. She's like, you're not going to tell me what to do. You want me to do this? I'm doing this other thing. You know, she clearly looked at her dad. He said, Vicki, she looked at me with the most spite and hate in her face that he'd ever seen. And she was like, I choose drug court. And he could not believe it. He said his heart... Fell into his stomach and that he was just sick. And he told me just the other day on the phone, his voice was breaking. He said,
1: You know, I wish I think about it over and over again in my head, and I wish I had stood up in that day in court. He he regrets more that day than I do, I think.
0: That's because Lindsay happened to be at a very unusual drug court. Most drug courts you're in and out in a year or two. The average program is a year and three months. Occasionally, very, very rarely, somebody is stuck in a drug court for three years. But the drug court run by Judge Amanda Williams operates so differently from others that Lindsay will spend five and a half years in drug court, including 14 months behind bars. And then she's going to spend another five years after that, six months behind bars, she's in the middle of that right now, and four and a half years probation. By the time she's done, it'll be ten and a half years of her life. Now, that seemed like a lot to me. Remember, the original crime here is two forged checks totaling $100, first offense. But I thought, maybe that's just how they do it in Georgia. So I ran it by two lawyers who handle drug cases around the state.
2: That's insane. That is complete insanity.
0: This would be Bruce Harvey, a defense attorney who's handled felony drug cases for 33 years all over Georgia. Here's Parag Shah, who was a public defender in Atlanta, author of a guidebook to Georgia criminal law called The Code.
3: Wow. That, that, That... that is, my opinion would be that would be egregious in probably 90% of the counties in Georgia.
0: That, that seems like a lot.
3: It, extremely.
0: Both attorneys said that typically, two forged checks for $100, bucks, 1st offense, at most, would get you probation. And you'd probably get some sort of alternative program, like a 16-week drug class or a life skills class, without ever going to trial. Of course, these are defense attorneys. Maybe prosecutors would see this differently. So I ran the facts of Lindsay's case by the district attorney for Forsyth County, Penny Penn, who handles the drug court cases there.
4: Um, it certainly sounds rather <laughs> Kafka-esque, doesn't it? Um, and I, I don't know that it's a very good use of, the, of resources, and that's separate and apart from just the fundamental fairness.
0: Yeah, What's the fairness issue?
4: Well, that it has gone on for so long. You know, and the point of the, the drug court program is to get people help.
0: from WBEZ Chicago. It's This American Life, distributed by Public Radio International. I'm Ira Glass. Today on our show, we have a story about the kinds of court cases that almost never make the news because the offenses are so small. Two checks forged by a teenager, tiny instances of drug possession or attempts to purchase. But these cases have life-changing consequences because they're being adjudicated in what is possibly the toughest drug court in the country. There are over 2,400 drug courts all over the United States that give enormous power to judges. You sign away all kinds of rights when you're under the programs. This is the story of what happens when a judge takes that power and starts doing things other drug courts don't, things that violate the basic philosophy of all drug courts. After months of investigation, I believe that it's likely no other drug court judge in the country is running a program like Judge Amanda Williams. Stay with us. <laughs> Before we go any further, there's something that's going to affect what you hear this hour. It was unusually hard for me to get people to talk to me for this story. Over and over, I would hear about something that Judge Williams had supposedly said or done, and I would go to the lawyers or litigants involved, and they'd refuse to speak with me, saying they were scared of retaliation, which, to be fair, would probably happen around lots of judges all over the country. In Glenn County, though, it was widespread. Ex-employees of the court, people who'd come up before the judge on divorce proceedings or other business years ago, Parents and family members of people who went before Judge Williams. Nobody went to cross her. I was able to get Judge Williams to sit down for an interview. It was this fall. She was up for reelection. A small group of lawyers had organized against her, and tried to get her voted off the bench. It became a very contentious, bitter race. Even in an interview setting, she's imposing, forceful, very quick, very smart, and she's idealistic. She told me that her interest in starting a drug court in Glen County wasn't just to make the courts run more efficiently, it was personal.
4: There's some addiction in my family. Um, my husband has been uh, in recovery for over 15 years. And uh, about the time that I, start, I started looking to start a drug court or, or around 1996, he had gotten into recovery. So, you know, we've lived it as a family because all the family members are touched by it.
0: To nobody's surprise, Judge Williams won re-election this fall. It's notoriously difficult to unseat a sitting judge. She had massive name recognition after 20 years on the bench, and she outspent the other candidate three to one. But by this winter, Judge Williams' opponents were still digging around for dirt. Things were still incredibly divisive in town, and everyone was sure that more challenges for the judge were still on the way. And I assume because they felt so embattled, so unfairly attacked. Drug court staff, counselors, and lawyers all declined my repeated requests for interviews. They acted like people under siege. The head of the counseling program, Stephen Mansfield, after not returning my calls or emails, finally told me in the reception area of his office that he wouldn't take part in the story. I asked him why, and he repeated, I won't take part in your story. I asked, do you first want me to explain what the story's about? And he said, if you try, I'll call an officer and have you removed from the building. Unfortunately, when I interviewed Judge Williams this fall, I only ran through the issues that had come up in the judicial election campaign. Since then, I've sent her my tentative conclusions about what I see in her drug court. I listed the ways in which it seems unlike other drug courts around the country and asked for an interview about those differences. But after I phoned, faxed, emailed, and simply sat in her office day after day hoping to catch her, she had her secretary turn me down. The main way Judge Williams' drug court is different from other ones is that it is simply more punitive. Take what happened to Lindsay. The week after she signed up for drug court, she was caught violating the drug court's curfew on a Friday night. She also failed a drug screen. This is not unusual. Most people entering any drug court program relapse in the first few months. It's expected and built into the programs. Lindsay ended up in front of Judge Williams the following Wednesday.
1: So she's telling me she still thinks I'm smoking pot, which I probably was. And so I had – she, like, reams me out, tells me that I'm, like – I just remember being, like, in drug court. My face turned blood red. She was screaming at me, started crying. I had to go do seven days.
0: Seven days in jail, that is.
1: And then from then on, the only time I ever interacted with Judge Williams was when I was in trouble. And she would flip out every time I went before her. I mean, she was just – she's screaming at you in court. I mean, she's she's standing at the – behind the bench with a microphone and screaming at you.
0: Judge Williams has a reputation for yelling from the bench. When the new district attorney, Jackie Johnson, was sworn into office by the judge this August, she joked, Judge Williams heard my first trial, and of course, she yelled at me. I talked to one former drug court counsel who told me he actually quit over this. They'd see the judge lash out at clients, embarrass them, and scold them. He came to feel that it was counterproductive. But what the addicts heard was the old punitive message that they were failures and worthless. It set them back. He eventually felt that he couldn't, in good conscience, be part of it. In the court transcript the day that Lindsay's talking about, March 30th, 2005, Judge Williams says, Don't come up here and tell me you're not drinking. I will put you in jail another 24 hours every time you tell me you're not drinking. I know you're drinking. Lindsay then says something that's inaudible to the court reporter. Judge Williams replies, You're drinking. You're drinking. Do you understand that you cannot drink? Lindsay says, Yes, ma'am. Judge Williams says, Okay, you're drinking, and I personally think that you're using marijuana. This goes on for a while, and she says, now you give me seven days. Before Lindsay goes, the judge warns her, don't come in here and pull this addiction mess with this court. When Lindsay gets seven days for her first relapse, the standard penalty in Judge Williams' courtroom is less. If you fail a drug screen and don't admit to using drugs, it's three days the first time you relapse, seven days the second time, 28 days the third time.
5: Any drug court that relies primarily on, on jail or punishment generally, is operating way outside of our philosophy and and just does not understand addiction.
0: This is West Huddleston, who runs the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, the main organization for 25,000 judges, lawyers, and counselors in the nation's 2,400-plus drug courts. He's been working with drug courts since the mid-'90s, he used to be a counselor and a coordinator for one. He says the problem with jail time is that decades of experience shows It doesn't work with addicts. Addicts keep using no matter what terrible things happen to them as a result of using. That's practically the definition of an addict.
5: They've lost jobs. They've lost their income. They've lost their loved ones. I mean, all of those natural consequences, which are much more severe than a day or two or three in jail, have not stopped them from using drugs and alcohol. Why would we think that putting them in jail would do so?
0: And so when drug courts use jail time, and the majority do, He says it's very sparingly,
5: you know, 12 hours, 24 hours
0: and only after other sanctions have failed. The official National Association for Drug Court Professionals guidelines list seven other possible things courts can do before they resort to jail, including warnings, increased treatment or monitoring, fines, community service, having to watch a whole day of drug court proceedings. The whole point of drug court was to be an alternative to what they called the punitive approach taken by the rest of the criminal justice system to replace that with treating and curing the addicts. Now, to be fair to Judge Williams in her drug court, I should point out that while jail time for first relapses might be unusual in drug courts around the country, it's not unusual in Georgia. Calling around, we found that these counties and judicial circuits all do it. Gwinnett, Dublin, Atlantic, Eastern, Forsyth, Cherokee, Enoda, DeKalb, Waycross, Hall. Most of these counties, it's just a day or two in jail on first relapse. And none of them came close to the amount of jail time Judge Williams prescribes for later relapses and broken rules. Lindsay ends up doing jail stays of 51 days, 90 days, 104 days, which will be unheard of in most drug courts. And Judge Williams takes people who relapse four times and sends them away on what she calls indefinite sentences. I could find no other drug court in Georgia that does this, and none of the national experts I talk with had ever even heard of such a practice. I learned details of how it works through interviews, court documents, and court depositions. An indefinite sentence is just what it sounds like. Judge Williams sends you to jail, but doesn't specify how long it's going to be. Often that's because she hasn't decided. I was told that Judge Williams would will declare things like, they're going to sit their ass over there till they get a better attitude, or take them away, you'll come back when I'm ready for you. So you sit in jail and wait, not sure what's going to happen to you next. Usually it's two or three months, but it can be more. At the end of all this, some people are kicked out of the drug court program, some are allowed back in, some are sent to inpatient rehab facilities. Though the problem here, I was told by a drug court insider, was that contrary to national drug court guidelines, Judge Williams first punishes the person for at least 28 days in jail, and usually it's months, before they're sent anywhere for more treatment. Lindsay Dills got sent away to indefinite detention on October 8, 2008. She'd been in the program for three and a half years at that point, had relapsed a couple times, done all sorts of things where you can understand they'd be kind of fed up with her. There's no court transcript of what the judge said that day, because rather than sentence Lindsay in open court, like usual, for reasons that aren't clear.
1: She doesn't do me in front of everyone else. She has me go back into her chambers with her and the drug court staff. Um, So we're in private now. There's no one that can hear any of this being said. And she's telling me how she thinks she should terminate me.
0: Terminator, kick her out of the program, which would mean serving the full sentence on the original forgery charges, 20 to 24 months.
1: I was hysterically crying this whole time because I'm like, oh my God, she's going on. And I'm back in the chambers like completely by myself. I have no idea what's about to happen. Um, And she's telling me how she's been thinking about terminate me, how she doesn't know if I'm can get this that maybe I just need to go to jail and maybe I'll get it sometime later in my life that you know they have other people to deal with and um so she says, you know, you're gonna give me twenty eight days. So I get to the jailhouse and I call my dad immediately as soon as I get there from the payphone that's in the booking area. And I hear the phone ring like where the booking area is and they answer it, and I heard them say, Dills. like just They were talking to someone, they said something about Dills. So I'm on the phone, and they said, Dills, hang that phone up. And I'm like, okay. And so I turn around, and they tell me that Judge Williams has now called and ordered me to have no further contact, no phone, no visitation, and no mail, um, and that I'd be put in their isolation cell. And I'm like, how long? And they're like, we don't know. And I'm like, well, for the whole 28 days that I'm here, and they said, well, your order is now indefinite. So I don't know what to do. I'm thinking she's just going to leave me there for 28 days like this to really just scare the crap out of me, and then she's going to let me out. Well, 28 days comes and goes, and I'm still sitting there. I don't. No one's come and see me. No one's told me what's happening. Um, and then I also am on antidepressants at this point prescribed by the drug court doctor dr cox that i've run out of 28 days into my visit and i'm not allowed to call or tell anyone that i'm out of medication so now i'm coming off antidepressants i'm taking Cymbalta and seroquel and i'm detoxing from both that i've been on for over a year i have no way to fill a new script or tell anyone that i need any more meds and
0: well, you can tell the guards right
1: yeah i did tell the guards told medical um but they can't do anything they can't fill the script within the jail
0: Her isolation cell was just a regular cell in the middle of a normal cell block, four walls and a door. And sometimes other participants in the drug court would relapse and wind up in that cell block.
1: I'm screaming through the door that I'm behind, like someone from drug court will holler up at me. And I told people leaving that we're going to drug court to tell drug court, please just let me get my medications back.
4: Um, And no one ever comes and sees me. I was in the same dorm as her, but I wasn't in lockdown.
0: Randy Byrd was another drug court participant in the Glen County Jail at the same time. She had also worked at Spanky's, though not at the same time as Lindsay.
4: The cell next to hers, um, me and some of the other girls would go in there and talk to her through the wall, through the air vents. How do you do that? Um, you just stand up on the toilet or the sink and get to the air vent and talk through it and they can hear you. Um, you know, ask her if she was okay. I'm not, they're not even allowed, they're not really supposed to talk to me,
1: these other inmates aren't. But I'm telling them, hey, will you tell Gail to come to see me to tell me what's going on? My counselor, they're going back to drug court. Drug court's telling them, don't worry about me, they know where
4: I am. I just check on her, you know, are you okay? Um, do you want my grandma to call anybody for you? Um, do you want something to eat? You know, all she got to eat was the regular jail food, which is awful, you know, so weed slider, some Roman noodles, or some Kool Aid or something under the door, you know, try not to get caught.
0: And had she seen?
4: She was very, very depressed. That's why we kept checking on her. Um, she was really depressed. Um, I cried a lot, pretty much all the time. I was crying.
1: I was like, how is this happening? How is this ethical? Where am I? Like, am I in a foreign country? Have I killed someone that I don't know about? Like, how is what I did merit that type of treatment? but there's nothing I can do about it because I can't even use the phone. I can't even send a letter.
0: Weeks went by. Lindsay had no idea what was going to happen or when it was going to happen. Her public defender, Jason Clark, was no longer with the drug court, and no other public defender came to check on her, she says. She also says that no doctor and no counselor from the drug court ever checked on her.
1: I'm like, where do they do this? Like, I've I've never heard of it. And if it's even legal, and why isn't my family doing anything?
0: The family, without Lindsay knowing, was trying to get answers from the drug court counselors about when she'd be coming out, about what the plan was, what was happening. Nobody tells them anything they say. Lindsay's mom, Vicki, up in South Carolina, says as soon as Lindsay went into detention, they were told that the judge put her in isolation and she couldn't have contact with anybody, including the family.
2: I, at that point in time, I said something to Johnny that i said you know i have a good mind to go to the newspaper and tell them what they're doing to our child and he said oh vicky you cannot do that you don't know amanda williams and the power she has down here um he said it's gotten worse since you've left and he said you cannot do that
0: because why how could it be worse than your kid locked up indefinitely with no contact from the outside world
2: that it could be indefinitely longer (laughs) you know that that she could make things really difficult for Lindsay.
1: i kept thinking there's no way she'll leave me here on christmas Typically, when she leaves you indefinite, you stay about ninety days, is what it, usually you'll see. So I'm thinking there's no way that she's going to leave me here like this through Christmas. So December eighth, someone came to jail from drug court on a sanction, and they said, "Oh, well, Judge Williams isn't having court again until January." She was gone; she'd gone out of town. She does it every December. She's not even gonna be back till like January the sixth. So this is the night and so I'm just like, I can't do it anymore. I'm completely a wreck by this point I haven't seen any other human besides the people that come bring me food and I'm not or not that stable anyway so I'm just and I can't figure out how this is helping me so I just I'm like whatever she's gonna send me to prison and I can't do prison so that night I'm like I can't do this anymore um, we had a new officer on duty that doesn't know that when you get your razor you're supposed to give it back
0: you mean like, like little like Bic razor, yeah. like that kind? Mm-hmm.
1: The little one blade in them, like you buy like disposable razors. Um, but I just broke it and took the blade out. Fifteen, I have fifteen minutes to use the razor, and then she came around to serve dinner. And when she still didn't ask for it back, I realized at that point she wasn't going to. And then I slid my wrist and sat on the floor by the door. And they did around twenty minutes later, which is earlier than they normally would have done it. Um, but she was changing shifts. And then that was when they found me, and then...
0: Was your thought, I'm going to do this in a way where I get out of here, or your thought, I'm going to do this in a way where I'm dead?
1: Um, I actually hoped that I would die, but at the point that I figured then, well, if I die, great. If I don't, at least someone will freaking hear me. They'll have to send me somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? They'll have, to, they'll have to get me some type of help. <laughs> ¶¶ Doctor that came in to do the stitches was like, I can't believe y'all gave this girl a raise in the first place. How would you think that someone would feel staying in there like that? Like they're animals. And he was like, Who ordered this? And they said Judge Williams. And he, like, I remember him cussing her name up and down in the room. He was like, Just he went, I mean, he was like, I'm calling her myself. Da, da, da. He's like, I can't believe you would do that. He said, What are you here for? I said, Drug court. And he was like, Did you get in a fight or anything? And I was like, No, sir. He was like, What the hell, y'all? I mean, why didn't anyone tell any type of psych? Have you been seeing anybody? I was like, no, sir. And this is all like I'm under anesthesia at this point, talking to this guy. His name is Dr. Gunnarsson. He was like, he was really, really nice. He was really nice to me. But like, nobody can believe. They're like, we don't know. It's just what Judge Williams told us to do. The officers are feeling guilty. They're like, we don't know. It's just what the order said.
0: There's some things in this story that I cannot confirm. Dr. Jeff Gunderson declined my request to check out the facts of what Lindsay said about him and what he said. I can't confirm that her medication ran out and that it was impossible for her to get a refill. I can't confirm that Lindsay's drug court counselors did not visit her in jail, though I was told that it's standard operating procedure in Judge Williams Drug Court not to provide any treatment or counseling or even AA or NA meetings in jail, even though the National Association of Drug Court Professionals guidelines say they should. In files at the jail and at the courthouse, I did find Judge Williams' order sending Lindsay into indefinite detention, quote, until further order of the court, but nothing specifying solitary confinement. A jail official told me that it would be unusual, but not unheard of, for the judge to order that kind of thing. If Judge Williams hadn't ordered Lindsay into solitary, the only other way that she could have ended up there is if the jail's disciplinary committee held a hearing and put her there. I asked the jail to check and see if she had come before the disciplinary committee in October 2008. They told me that this raised privacy issues, that I needed to get Lindsay to sign a notarized document, giving the permission to release this information. Lindsay is currently in a prison halfway across the state, so it took some doing to get a document to her and signed and notarized from behind bars. But I managed that when I presented this document to the sheriff's office, which runs the jail. I was told that Sheriff Wayne Bennett had decided that although the notarized document from Lindsay would allow him to give me the information that I wanted, it did not mandate that he give it to me. So he did not. Lindsay's family did confirm that she tried to kill herself, that they got called with this news when it happened. Two and a half years later, Lindsay still has scars.
1: Um, those two are there.
0: The right one looks okay. The left one, you can still see too big.
1: Yeah, they're they're better today than they were. Medicine for all, my hands shook really bad from where I guess nicked some type of nerve. I don't do it real bad anymore, just barely.
0: I don't know. They're shaking.
1: Yeah, I mean, they shake. My wrists do, but...
0: And did the counselors know that you had a history of cutting?
1: Yes. Yeah, they did.
0: And did Judge Williams know? Yeah. If they didn't know, they were missing out on some crucial information about her. The counselors and Judge Williams also had to know about any antidepressants Lindsay was on because the drug court contract specifies that they had to approve any medications that she used. And, according to court records, Lindsay had been on suicide watch before, two years before, on August 15, 2006. And despite all this... Somebody ordered her into a cell for months, in isolation. Coming up, Brandy, the girl who slipped ramen noodles to Lindsay. She has got quite a story, too. That's in a minute. Chicago Public Radio and Public Radio International, when our program continues. This is American Life, I'm Ira Glass. Today we're devoting our entire show to the story of one judge and one drug court. The judge is Amanda Williams, chief judge of the Superior Court of Glenn County, Georgia. She runs the drug court programs in Glenn, Camden, and Wayne County, and she runs them very differently than other drug court programs around the country. One big way they're different, they pull in way more offenders than other drug courts. In 2009, according to the Georgia Department of Audits and Accounts, the Glenn and Camden County drug courts, run by Amanda Williams, were the biggest drug court operation in the state of Georgia. Biggest with 378 participants. That is 48 more participants than the drug court in Fulton County. Fulton County contains the city of Atlanta. Fulton County has 10 times the population of Glenn and Camden counties combined, yet its drug court was smaller. So what's Judge Williams doing to nudge so many people, such a remarkably high number of offenders into drug court?
4: This was back in December of 2005.
0: You may remember Brandi Bird, the young woman who stood on the toilet and had shouted conversations with Lindsay Dills in the Glen County Jail. How she ended up in drug court is a story that begins one night when she was out with friends.
4: And my friend got pulled over for DUI. He was driving. They asked to search the car and my belongings, and I told them they could. I told them that I didn't have anything. Well, when they searched my purse, they found two Darvacets, which were my mother's.
0: Here's how they got there. Brandy and her family all say that a few months before, Brandy had an operation to remove some precancerous cells that could develop into cervical cancer.
4: And I didn't have health insurance, so my mom had actually given me a couple pills to take instead instead of me filling my script for my own pain medicine. I never took them, so they were still in there, and I meant to give them back to her, but it just slipped my mind. I had them in an altoid's mint thing in my pocketbook so when they found them they asked me what that what they were and I told them that they were sets and they belonged to my mom you know I didn't realize they were in there and they told me well you know this is a felony drug charge I said no I didn't well they arrested me and I called my grandma because I wanted to be bonded out well then they told me You do not have a bond until you see Amanda Williams. If you get a felony, if you're arrested for a felony drug charge, you don't have a bond until you go before the judge. Most places it's if you get arrested, you have a bond immediately unless you're on a probation violation, you know, or of course, if it was murder or something like that, you know, you would have to wait to
0: go to court. That's actually a pretty good summary of the way it works in most courts in Georgia. Brandy's somebody who wishes that she could be a lawyer. She's got a head for it, too.
4: So I freaked out about that, just the fact of I was stuck in jail and couldn't bond out.
0: In Glynn County, you wait in jail on any drug charge to the next day that drug court cases come around, and it's just once a week. So Brandy sits in jail for six days before she's put in front of Judge Williams. She was charged with two felony counts, one for each pill. Darby said it's a Schedule 4 drug under Georgia law. It's her first offense. She's 22. Okay, quick reality check. What would she get elsewhere in the state? Well, again, here's Parag Shah, criminal defense attorney in Atlanta.
3: And she has no record?
0: No, no record. Uh,
3: (laughs) I I would say in most courtrooms that that would be dismissed either through an affidavit or, or testimony or the mother saying that, you know, she gave it to the daughter.
0: Whereas Casey says she'd be found guilty and then get probation and then at the end of it have her record wiped clean. Bruce Harvey, who does drug cases around the state, agreed.
2: What, for having two pills? Yeah. Are you kidding me? I, I can't imagine they would get anything but first offender probation.
0: Some counties, he said, might do a pretrial diversion, send you to a drug class for 16 weeks. Penny Penn, the district attorney from Forsyth County, says in her county they would consider somebody like Brandy for pretrial diversion or for the drug court.
4: And if the person didn't go into drug court, then it would probably be a probation case. It's it's hard um, when you're dealing with such a small amount.
0: Okay, that's most places in Georgia. Here's what happened in Judge Williams' courtroom. After six days in jail, no bond permitted, Brandy goes before the judge. Brandy's grandmother, Aunt Harris, who raised her, came to court too. She told me she knew Judge Williams before all this. She was the judge in Brandy's adoption. I always thought very highly of her at the time. But once I got to court, the message from everyone was the same. The public defender told Brandy. A drug court official told Mrs. Harris. If Brandy did not go into drug court, that she would go to prison
3: because that was two felonies.
4: You know, and the drug court counselors were there, and they told me, you know, you're going to go to prison for one to five years if you don't do this program. Well, I mean that sh- that scared me because first of all, I've never been in trouble, and the thought of me going to prison,
3: we were more or less we were
0: threatened. I mean, we were scared of what would happen. From the bench, according to the court transcript, Judge Williams tells Brandy that her options are to go to trial. And if she's found guilty, she'll get a year in detention plus four years probation. Judge Williams tells her that that's the minimum sentence her court gives on any drug charge. In a detention center, Brandy asks, Yeah, Judge Williams says, in a lockdown detention. It's called a boot camp. Or then the assistant district attorney jumps in, quote, Will you pick strawberries all day? I mean, if you eat one, you'll get in trouble. Elsewhere in the state, as you've heard, Brandy would get probation for this offense. But Judge Williams tells Brandy that she doesn't give straight probation in her court. Quote, there's no such thing as putting you on probation. If you don't beat the rap, there's no street probation for charges in this county and hasn't been for seven years since I've had drug court. She tells Brandy that if she doesn't choose drug court and wants to go to trial instead, it's a $15,000 bond to get out of jail. That's a standard bond she gives everyone. A former public defender in Glenn County told me that's high enough that most drug court defendants can't afford it.
6: I think people are being coerced into going to drug court.
0: This is attorney Mary Helen Moses, one of the team of lawyers in Glenn County trying to unseat Judge Williams. She was the candidate who ran against the judge in the fall election.
6: A first-time drug offense in Glenn County carries with it a $15,000 minimum bond. That's incredibly high.
0: Why? What's it compared to other, elsewhere?
6: Oh, I'd say first-time offenses, maybe 3000 maybe 3500 But I think what ends up happening is you've got a judge saying, okay, here, you can post a $15,000 bond, or you can go into drug court and be released on your own recognizance. You know, you can come before me in a trial on your drug charge, and it looks pretty bad to me, and if I find you guilty, you're going to have a minimum sentence I mean that's that's an awfully hard <laughs> thing not to accept drug court under those circumstances.
0: So in Judge Williams court, there's no probation for anybody, even first offenders, no bond before you come in front of her, then a fifteen thousand dollar bond after you see her, a minimum sentence of twenty to twenty four months in detention for most offenses, twelve months for minor ones. We couldn't find any drug court in Georgia that does anything like it to prod people into their programs. Because drug court is supposed to be voluntary. If you push the wrong people in, you'll doom them to failure. And even though most drug courts create incentives to lure reluctant addicts into their programs, it's important that the defendants feel that they have a free choice to enter or not.
4: I really didn't know what else to do. I didn't want to stay locked up, and I felt like if I did not get into drug court, then I would be sent to prison.
0: Again, Brandy Bird.
4: And they told me, you know, that if I did not admit to using drugs— And having a problem, then they would not admit me into drug court. So basically, I told them what they wanted to hear. There was a counselor from drug court that came in and gave me a test and asked me about my drug use. And of course, I told them, "Okay, yeah, I've done this and I've done that. Um, And but once I got into drug court, I explained to them, look, I did this so I didn't want to go to prison.
0: As you'd expect, that didn't go down so well. Take Brandy's very first counseling session, a group session with about 20 other women.
4: You're supposed to introduce yourself, what your charges are, and what your drug of choice is. I introduced myself. I told them what my charges was. I said, my drug of choice, I smoke marijuana. I said, but I'm charged with these pills, and I'm not guilty of it. They were my mom's. You know, I'm not a drug addict, you know, and they just laughed about it and said I was in denial.
0: But you can see why they would laugh, because everybody who comes in to uh, it... Yeah, and understand
4: that. I still didn't fit in with the people that were there you know the stories you hear in there of people giving their testimonies and things they've done and how far along they were in their addiction shooting up selling their bodies for drugs stealing from their families i've never stole from my family um they said that my addiction just hadn't advanced that much because i hadn't sold my body for crack or drugs i'd never done crack i never did any kind of heavy drug
0: which brings up another question should a first-time offender like Brandy, or Lindsay for that matter, be in a drug court program at all?
5: Well, I mean, we certainly know that that drug court works best for the most seriously addicted and most criminally involved offenders.
0: Again, Wes Tuddleston, former drug counselor and coordinator, now the head of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, when he describes the target population for drug court, note how different it sounds from Brandy, who only signed up because Judge Williams, her drug court employees, and the public defender, Made her feel she had no choice.
5: Those individuals that drug court works best for um, have long histories of addiction, have multiple treatment failures, have been on probation multiple times, um, have have probably served previous jail or prison sentences, but all driven by their addiction. You know, if, if that's if that's not the population that a drug court is seeing, then they're they're truly not going to have um, as good of outcomes.
0: And he says that when people who don't have long histories of addiction and criminality are thrown into a program that is designed for people who do, these intensive treatment programs with all their monitoring and curfews and consequences.
5: What happens is they can become very defiant because um, it's too punitive. It's it's like if you're too punitive with your child, they, they will become defiant.
0: I have no way to judge whether or not Brandy Bird was truly an addict, but she was a low-level offender. And she absolutely became defiant. She didn't obey the terms of her drug court contract, never bought in, continued to drink, got picked up on a DUI, was sent to inpatient treatment, fled it, vanished from the program for 11 months, and eventually was kicked out. And then served time for the two felony counts on the two set, which was 20 months in detention. She just got out this December. She still has three years of probation, including regular drug tests. She's not allowed to drink either.
4: And you know, I can admit... That I made a mistake, you know, and, and that I violated the terms. But that much time for two pills? And I just felt like my whole life had just been snatched out from under me.
0: It's important to note here that many people get through Judge Williams Drug Court just fine. When I visited the court one day this fall, she didn't yell at anybody. If anything, she was encouraging, like an unusually maternal high school coach. Wandering up to people during the break, I met a guy named Perry Burton, who's been in and out of the drug court program for four years. He told me that when he first started, quote, I hated that lady. I hated that lady from the bottom of my heart. But she got me off drugs. She's helped me more than anyone. She's got a heart. She's brought me close to my kids. Even Judge Williams' opponents say that she's doing what she thinks is best for drug court participants she believes in tough love, that people need to be woken up. And when I spoke with Judge Williams this fall, she also made it clear that she thought her drug court was no different from any other.
4: All drug courts function just like this. My drug court is, is based on, you know, national drug courts, All of the forms that I use come from national drug courts. All of the methods that we use come from national drug courts. And what I do is exactly what other people and other drug courts have done for
2: years and still continue to do.
0: My best guess is that this was completely sincere. At the time, she probably believed that. When I later learned otherwise and sent her details about how her court was different and asked for an interview about those differences, by then she'd stopped answering my calls. As for her success rate, this Father the drug court's clinical director, Stephen Mansfield, provided me with numbers showing that the graduation rate for the Glynn-Camden drug courts was 48%, below the national average and way lower than successful programs. Low enough, one expert said, it showed something was going wrong. When I shared that information with the National Association of Drug Court Professionals and they approached Judge Williams about it, she provided them with different numbers, showing a 54% graduation rate, which isn't as good as the best programs, but it's on par with the national average. There's one more case I want to share with you, and it's somebody who, unlike Brandy or Lindsay, went into drug court willingly.
7: I was 19. I was just before turning 20 and uh, into things I shouldn't have been into.
0: In May of 2001, Charlie McCullough went with some friends to a motel room to buy drugs, in Charlie's case, LSD, they were caught in a police sting. He got the same treatment that you've heard about. Was told that he needed a fifteen thousand dollar bond to get out of jail, or he could do drug court and be released right away. Drug court seemed like a good deal.
7: I remember desperately wanting to get out of jail. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, it seemed like a good thing. I, I get to go, you know, go to this counseling, and then, I, I mean, I did want to do better, you know. And I figured if something like that, I was going to be monitored pretty much twenty four seven. You know, it'd be a more of an incentive to to do the right thing. So Charlie
0: enters the drug program, quits drugs. He'd been smoking pot every day, he says. And he liked Judge Williams.
7: I said it was all in all a good experience. And, you know, going to court, you know, she sees this growth in you and she compliments on it. Um, First impression, a a great person, you know, really nice lady. I mean, my first two years, I was an advocate for the program. You know, Mm -hmm. I was was all for it. Felt like I turned a new leaf. You know, and I I did. You know, I I changed a lot about myself. Um, I was happy the way things were going.
3: Drug court is set up with four separate phases.
0: This is Charlie's lawyer, Jim Jenkins. He was one of the few lawyers who's ever come before Judge Williams who would talk to me on tape. And the reason that he did it is that he's a private attorney who does not live in Glenn County. Most of his practice is elsewhere. He says Charlie did great in the program.
3: He was in the final phase of the program. He was just three months short of graduation. And he was called in for a random urine screen, which they do regularly in the program. I went in there, I, I took the drug test.
7: She said that it became, uh, came up positive for methamphetamine. She the drug counselor, not Judge Williams. Um, you know, I, I, I knew I wasn't messing around, so uh, I told her that wasn't right. Um, they let me take another drug test.
3: So she took another sample and gave him another test.
0: Right, and we should say this was just like 20 minutes after the first test.
3: Within 20 minutes, exactly. Um, and it came out negative. They took a third test, same result. I passed it.
0: Uh, I was under the impression when I left that
7: night that no big deal.
0: No, it's just like sometimes there's a false positive, just some some little mistake, right? And, and he talked with the drug counselors
3: about this, and, and they were they were really on his side because Charlie had done absolutely perfectly for twenty two months in the program, and never had a bad screen, had never missed a meeting. In fact, he he was such a good student that he mentored other participants. And he'd actually appeared in front of the county commissioners uh, asking them to allocate more money for the drug court program because it was such a great program.
0: The next week, it was a day when all the Phase 4 participants were supposed to attend drug court.
7: And they say, i got to go in front of the judge for the drug test I failed. And that was like a big you know, shock to me. I told her I didn't fail the drug test. I passed the second one. And she said that she was going to use the first one, that the second one didn't count.
3: And he tried to explain to her, and uh, goes back and forth with that. And Charlie finally says, Your Honor, may I speak, please? Actually, do you want to read
0: what he says there? Sure. Um, it's page two of this transcript from March 11, okay. 2003.
3: And Charlie says, finally says, um, May I speak? Court says, Yeah. And Charlie says, I have no explanation for that at all. I don't. Twenty minutes later, I took another test. It was tested three times. I passed that, okay? I can't explain to you why. All I know is what I've done and what I haven't done, Your Honor. And her response to that is, well, you know, I don't believe you. Um, then it goes back and forth, and
0: they talk about the tests. And right. Apparently, like, uh, one of the workers there named Alicia uh, grabbed the cap for the, for the little vial of, of pee from the, from the trash Right. And uh, and then and then Judge Williams says, now, I don't believe that in a heartbeat. And Charlie says, ask Alicia, she'll tell you. She will not lie in court. She grabbed it out of the trash can.
3: And then Charlie says, I'm not going to go 22 months with clean time and then three months from my graduation to use. And Judge Williams responds, well, people have done it.
0: Judge Williams asks Charlie to take a polygraph, and Charlie says, sure. And then she does not give him a polygraph. Alicia is not called as a witness to settle this question about the lid. And then... Judge Williams sentences Charlie to 17 days. In Charlie's treatment file, it explains that the 17 days is comprised of two things. It was comprised of three
3: days for uh, having a bad drug test result, and it was 14 days for questioning the result.
0: Wait, wait, he got 14 days simply for saying, like, no, no, I don't think this is right? Because he questioned the result. Wait, but what, what, what law is he violating there? Isn't that what court is for? Isn't, he supposed to, isn't this the place where he's supposed to be able to say, like, let me tell you my side, now you decide?
3: Not this court. Not this court. If you question this court, you get punished for it. And in this situation, because he questioned what, what was going on, he got 14 days extra in jail.
0: In any drug court, there would be an unusually long penalty, 17 days for a first bad drug screen. But Charlie was also sent back to Phase 2 of the program, which meant that he would be spending an extra year and a half in Judge Williams' drug court. His time in drug court just suddenly jumped from two years to three and a half. Judge Williams freely admits that she gives harsher sentences to anybody who denies doing drugs when a drug test says they've done them. In fact, most drug courts do that. But we couldn't find one drug court that would levy so harsh a penalty on a first-failed screen. And the question that it raises is the most uncomfortable question people raise about Judge Williams. Is she just a hothead somebody who can't stand to be contradicted, somebody who overreacts when argued with? And is that affecting her rulings? This came up in the fall elections. Jim Jenkins says that what is clear is that any drug court judge has unusual powers, powers most judges do not have, and needs to wield them fairly. No, no. If, if somebody were unhappy with their treatment in the drug court, can they just appeal it? I mean, you, usually, no. Interc- no, why not?
3: There's there no provision at all for any kind of appeal, and that's, that's one of the real, other real problems with the procedures of this particular drug court. If Judge Williams sentences you to 30 days or an indeterminate sentence, there is nothing that can be done, period. You can't appeal to the court of appeals. There's nobody to go to.
0: And is the reason why there's no right to appeal because basically I've already pled guilty to my charge, and so...
3: That's basically it, and you are uh, are in a treatment program, and these are sanctions that are supposedly designed to um, foster your treatment.
0: In fact, I've seen orders that Judge Williams has issued where she instructs a 22-year-old woman to move in with her grandmother and grandfather, the people who apparently turned her into the authorities in the first place, and, quote... Follow any rules of their household. She ordered the same woman, Alyssa Branch, to go to a doctor and, quote, upon attending her medical appointment, defendant shall comply with all recommendations of Dr. Gowan. Should further medical procedures become necessary, defendant shall undergo said medical procedures. And on June 9, 2010, the same woman, Alyssa Branch, is ordered to inpatient treatment for a year at a place called Bridges of Hope with, quote, no outside visitation passes no visitation to the facility from any outside persons, and no contact with any outside persons. If this woman wished to contest any of these judges' orders, Jim Jenkins believes, she has no recourse. Here's something else. When you enter Judge Williams Drug Court, she requires you to sign a piece of paper saying that no matter what happens, you won't go to any other judge but her you won't recuse her. This also goes against the guidelines of the National Association of Drug Court Professionals. I know I'm saying that a lot this hour. If a person is in danger of being terminated from drug court and that person wants another judge to take the case at that point, they're supposed to get it. Because at that point, the thinking is the drug court judge knows too much personal information about the client to be an unbiased and impartial judge. And so in cases like Brandy Bird's, when she was terminated from drug court, another judge might have looked at the facts, the two pills, all that, and waived some of the 20 to 24 month sentence that Brandy agreed to as a condition of entering drug court. Brandy's lawyer tried to get Judge Williams to at least give Brandy credit for the four and a half months she served in jail waiting for her termination hearing. Sometimes Judge Williams chooses to do that. Here she doesn't even consider the possibility. In the court transcript, Brandy's attorney says, can she get credit for time? He doesn't even finish the sentence. He doesn't even say the word served. The judge says, no sir, she does not. Let's go to the next case. Charlie's case, being told that he'd now be spending three and a half years in the program instead of just two, when he was so close to finishing and he'd never missed a meeting or failed a previous drug screen, it had exactly the result that research studies show is the problem with an overly punitive approach. It made him rebel. It made him give up. The harshness of Judge Williams' sentence took a model participant and turned him into a failure. Once that day came,
7: it it was a big, it was like a big slap in the face. You know, everything I had Pretty much put my trust into, kind of turn its back on me. You know, I, I'd sat here and I dedicated, you know, twenty-two months of of my life to to changing it. I felt like everything I had done was for nothing.
0: And then in December that year, you get you get uh, you get screened positive for marijuana. Yeah, you know, yeah, I'd smoke some pot. Um, at that time,
7: you know, I was I was over it. You know, I I didn't didn't really care. I was just disappointed,
0: extremely disappointed. A month later, he missed his first group meeting, and a warrant was issued for his arrest. It took him four years to get out of the program. He's clean now and doing great. He has a wife and two kids, lives in Virginia, builds bridges for a living. As for the other two, Brandy's still adjusting after two years in detention, working in a restaurant, trying to earn some money and get her life together. Lindsay gets out of detention this May, and she'll finally be through with the drug court program though she has four and a half years of probation still. She's planning to do it up in South Carolina near her mom. She has a job lined up and a fiancé, and they're going to try to have a baby. For the first time in years, she has something she's looking forward to. Her one fear is that Judge Williams will hear that she talked to me for the radio and do something punitive, like tell her to do her probation back home in Glynn County. In Glynn County, she says, so many people she used to do drugs with are still there. It's always been harder for her to stay clean. If the judge would have forced her to stay there, she'd be setting her up for failure. In his inaugural address this January, Georgia's new governor, Nathan Deal, made a big point of calling for more drug courts as a way to reduce the number of people behind bars and save money. His son, Superior Court Judge Jason Deal, runs the drug court in Hall County. Drug courts have become one of those nonpartisan solutions that everybody from the Republican governor of Georgia to the Democratic president of the United States says they love. But as drug courts expand into more places and become more of a standard part of the criminal justice system, it's possible that they're changing. One of the leading researchers on drug courts, Stephen Belenko, he's been doing studies on them for 20 years, he's a professor of criminal justice at Temple University, told me there are no studies on this yet, but anecdotally, he's noticing drug courts are becoming more punitive and more controlling.
5: Over time, what's happened, drug courts have become routinized. Rut- so you see judges who are just kind of rotate into drug courts, and I've certainly talked to and heard about uh, judges who were put into drug court who really have no interest or knowledge about addiction, addiction treatment, not to criticize them at all. They're just not um, trained or invested in this model. So I think um, they take with them kind of the the more typical judicial responses of, uh, you know, viola- if you violate a judicial order, you're going to be punished.
0: According to the National Association of Drug Court Professionals, about 150 of the nation's drug courts do not apply the principles of the drug court model correctly and are not having good outcomes as a result. Manel, help me with the reporting for today's program. Thanks today to Al Letson, Patrick Berry, Sam Greenspan, Andrew Cummings, Roy Sobelson, Chris Deutsch, and the many people who talked to me on the condition that they would not be named. Special thanks to Nancy Updike for taking over as host of the radio show while I finished the reporting for today's program. And to our show's senior producer, Julie Snyder, for running the show so beautifully when I was gone. Our other producers, Alex Plumberg, Ben Calhoun, Jane Feltas, Sarah Koenig, Jonathan and Hevar, Lisa Pollock, Robin Semmian, and Alyssa Schiff. Lind is our production manager. Emily Condon's our office manager. Jen Berman's filling in as our West Coast producer. This American Life is distributed by Public Radio International. WBEZ management oversight for our program by our boss, Mr. Tori Malatia. You know, before he got a job in radio, he had a show that he did for his own family, transmitted only in their house, which isn't hard.
4: You just stand up on the toilet or the sink and get to the air vent and talk through it, and they can hear you.
0: I'm Ira Glass, back next week with more stories of This American Life.